You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation, what's happening? What's good? It's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Locked On Rams. It's the Tuesday edition of Locked On Rams, and welcome back, everybody, to the week. Hope you had a great weekend. Happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there that happened over the weekend. So while I'm on the mic, big shout-out to my brother Drew and my dad Jeff. Happy Father's Day via the podcast. Well, I want to get to a couple things before we get to our interview. And yes, we have an interview today. I've got the Locked On Chargers fellas on. That is David, John, and Daniel all join me. For a little crossover edition, L.A. crossover edition, Fight for L.A. crossover, eh, you know, we'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about a lot of good stuff. We'll get to that here in a little bit. And actually, it's probably going to be broken down into two segments. This will be part one. We ended up talking for about an hour and 20 minutes or so, so I'll break it down into a couple of podcasts. That's way you guys can chew on it over the next couple of days. Before we get to that, I want to talk a couple Rams things that kind of ended the week last week and then a little bit over this weekend and today on Monday. On Thursday, we all saw via social media, the Rams were able to get out to the new stadium. That was really awesome. Some really cool pictures came out from that. Jared Goff threw the first touchdown in the stadium to Robert Woods and then continued to go two for two as he dropped a deep ball to one of the construction workers on the second or third floor or wherever that ended up being. Uh, So it's good to see Jared Goff still throwing really well in that new stadium. Like I said, some pretty fun pictures, stories. A lot of those guys shared a lot of that stuff on social media. Speaking of social media, don't forget to give me a follow. That's at LA underscore Rambling Bear on Twitter. And on Instagram, you can find us at Lockdown Rams, as well as on Twitter, Lockdown Rams. Or hit us up on Gmail, LockdownRams at gmail.com. I've got a couple emails in the inbox that I'm going to get to over the next couple days when we get some time. Uh, like I said, we've got a long episode today, so I just kind of want to jump into it. One quick roster update before we get going. Uh, the Rams placed Larry Rose and DB Chucky Williams on waivers on Monday. Rose originally signed with the Titans as an undrafted free agent out of New Mexico State. Uh, after going through their rookie minicamp, uh, he came over here to L.A., as well as DB Chucky Williams was released uh, on Monday as well. We talked about him in previous podcasts. Both those guys released, leaving two spaces open. Again, we talked about it. That 90-man roster is going to go up and down as we see fit, and these guys start making some wiggle room. So we'll add a couple more guys here. We'll talk about it. But those two guys were released. You may see them back. You may not. Well, guys, a quick note before I get to the interview. I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors. I mean, you remember those days when you weren't always ready to go. Now you can increase your performance and get that little extra boost of confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. That's right, like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach since they're chewables. They work up to twice as fast as the pills, so you can be ready whenever, wherever, whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is subscribed online and shipped straight to your door discreet package, so no in-person doctor visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the U.S., and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. 
Right now, we've got a special deal for all of our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. That's right, free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E Chew.com. Promo code Locked On. Try it for free. Blue Chew is better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Well, guys, as I mentioned, I've got a great interview. Going to break it down into two parts. So here is my first part of the Locked On Crossover LA edition with the boys from Locked On Chargers, David, John, and Daniel. Enjoy, guys. Hello, everyone out there in the Locked On Podcast Nation. This is Brad Bear Motter of Locked On Rams, and this is a fun all-LA crossover edition. We've got David, John, and Daniel from Locked On Chargers. Boys, how are we doing today? How is everybody? Hey, we are doing phenomenal. Uh, it's always a great day when you get a chance to talk some football, especially with uh, our new uh, soon-to-be bunkmates in uh, Stan Kroenke's L.A. Coliseum. Rivalry, rivalry, rivalry. Well, I, I don't really know if that fits here, guys. But it's still cool. I think that probably helps us out a little bit because I, I really don't think there's any rivalry between the Rams and the Chargers so far. Uh, the fight for L.A. is decidedly one-sided so far, but it's good to have you, Brad. I'm excited to do this with you guys because, hey, I think you guys have the most exciting things to talk about over this offseason, so I'm really glad to get you on and get your thoughts on that. Can we really call a game that's played once every four years a rivalry, even though it's always going to be in L.A. every four years? Well, we may just have to start that off. Um, and, you know, if we saw and we look back to, you know, spring training, the, the two teams were definitely trying to create that rivalry uh, spirited, you know, hatred as far as, you know, getting in a fight in last year's spring training. And hopefully they bring that same level of, you know, anger and, and fight to uh, the Coliseum. Before we get going, guys, really quickly, uh, make sure to give everyone a follow on the show. Uh, you can find me at LA underscore Rambling Bear or at Locked On Rams. For you guys, where can everyone find uh, the content you guys are putting up? So uh, everybody can definitely check out our Twitter page, Locked On LAC. Uh, we also tweeted out uh, on our personal Chargers Domination Live podcast page on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at SDDavid619. Daniel Wade, where can they find you? I'm at Dan Talk Sports on Twitter. And John, yeah, what about I, you, my friend? I don't really use Twitter. So we're editing you out of this part of the podcast. <laughs> if you really yeah. want to find John, you gotta go, you gotta go door knocking, baby. You gotta get in there and, and get in his face like old school. I like it. Um, well, kind of moving on, fellas, that's, that's all great. Make sure to go give everyone a follow, listen to all of our shows, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Give us a listen. Give us a review. Tell us what you think. Uh, like you mentioned, to kick off the show, uh, I believe it was Daniel, is there's a lot going on. You know, L.A., uh, you know, not too long ago had zero football teams, and here we are today speaking of two L.A. football teams. You guys had your first year of transitional uh, movement into your stadium obviously down there in Carson and with the name of the LA Chargers which to this day I'm still calling you guys San Diego Chargers every once in a while it's rough uh, for me it only took me a little bit with the Rams but here we are we had our fair share of bumps along the road with the Rams coming to LA 
Uh, we got here first. I think that was a big advantage for us. So people started to, um, you know, kind of fall in line. Also, we kind of picked up where we left off uh, years before with the original LA Rams. So I uh, wanted to really quickly, before we get, get kind of too far, I wanted to hear, on, you know, your thoughts on the move. I know you guys are San Diego, you know, based and originally and kind of have that heart, but thoughts on first year in L.A.? Yeah, it, it was really hard, obviously, for every San Diegan that was a fan of the Chargers, and we've preached that till the, you know, till nighttime. Uh, all of our podcasts preached it till the day is done. But I think now it's we're a little bit more numb to it. I would say. I think the interesting thing about this is just how different seeming the Rams' move was compared to the Chargers, where. I mean, obviously, people are still calling the Chargers the San Diego Chargers. I don't know how many people are still calling them the St. Louis Rams. That might be a a 10-year thing. But it's been really tough. But I don't want to forget that Keenan Allen absolutely slammed one of your cornerbacks last year at training camp. And I know we're supposed to be talking about the move to L.A., but that was just one of the most awesome things that I've ever seen. So we'll get back to that later. But, you know, Dean Spanos obviously is – he who shall not be named here in San Diego. <laughs> I think it's it's gonna help that it's gonna help when the Chargers do well this year. An 0-4 start in StubHub, which seats only twenty seven thousand people. When you're playing in a soccer stadium, when the product you're putting on the field isn't good, it's really hard to get a gauge on how well the transition is going, which you've seen in Dean Spanos in the front office trying to reach back out to San Diego during the offseason when they saw how little fans actually cared about their team in L.A. I think that was a big point where you just kind of said, oh, hey, maybe we made a mistake. But, Bear, I just want to get your feeling on, have you met a lot of Rams fans in L.A.? Have you talked to a lot of Rams fans? How is that transition going? Yeah, it's crazy. Year one, um, you know, it was they were hard to find, definitely. You know, I think there was some excitement about NFL football. The crazy thing is I actually moved to L.A. the exact same day the Rams did. I was in an airport having a beer uh, when they broke the news on TV. So that's kind of my transition on how I became an L.A. Rams fan, that I moved here the same day they did. Uh, I was excited to have an NFL football team where I was going to relocate, and a buddy of mine kind of pitched me this idea about doing a Rams podcast uh, within a month of that, and we kind of took off and started doing it, and as we invested in that Jeff Fisher team, uh, you really went through the bumps and bruises in year one out in L.A., and kind of was was invested from there so it was really awesome to see the quick turnaround but yeah I mean I've definitely seen the increase you you mentioned it with the with the Chargers Uh, winning will solve everything Uh, I don't know about you know taking over the market in LA but you're definitely going to be more welcome here in LA once you produce a winner Uh, you'll find fans coming out of everywhere once you got some wins up on the board Um, I think that definitely helped with the Rams obviously adding a young uh, coach and uh, Sean McVay and a franchise quarterback and a franchise running back and then one of the best D tackles in all of football. There was a lot to get excited about even when they were bad. So when they started winning ball games and started trending upwards, uh, you could really see people kind of take on to them. And then again, being first to market, they got that, they really worked that celebrity uh, row pretty well. And they've got, I mean, there's been LeBron at sidelines at games. There's been Snoop Dogg. They've got all the, you know, celebrities and they've really turned the Coliseum into something special, uh, as far as that goes. And that's an old stadium. So it's really tough to do, but, um, I think that was a good, good plan on them. And, and we're so far removed from St. Louis, as far as distance goes, that even if there's tons of hate 
it, it can it doesn't really get to us as much as you know for you guys you're just down the road so uh hearing people in this town and you know that originally from san diego or close by or stuck there in the middle somewhere um you know it's a lot easier to hear the noise from just down the road than it is from a lot of people in st louis where you know they've either stayed true to the fans uh, you know, as far as the team goes, uh, but yeah, that, that would be my, you know, take on it as far as, you know, the move to LA compared to how your guys' move went in the first year. Well, and you guys have embraced your market in, in Los Angeles, uh, and you know, you guys jumped in head first, uh, and had a, a much better aggressive, uh, campaign, if you will, to try to win fans over when the chargers came to Los Angeles and they, you know, they had a, a fan base that was only a couple hours down the, the five. They completely alienated all of those fans. The 56 years, 57 years of time and blood, sweat, tears, and money that they poured into the team. Spanos just turned his back on them. So, you know, now the Rams have infiltrated into the San Diego market and uh, they're showing what good PR people and good business people will do. Uh, they're not alienating uh, people in markets close to them, they're accepting them and trying to, trying to bring them in. When you talk about alienating the fan base, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than how Spanos did it. Cause if you went to a press conference, he would talk about how the move to LA is going. And then someone would bring up, how are you reaching out to the fans in San Diego to keep them with the team? His response was literally, we are moving on from the past. We are looking to the future. We are looking for great things in LA. And right there, you can just tell he doesn't care about the San Diego fan base, but once things start going bad, he wants to say, we want to start getting the San Diego fan base in. All he had to do is literally, just say something along the lines of, we would like the San Diego fans to follow with us. We're sorry that everything went down the way it did, but we still appreciate what you did for us for 56 years. You know, something along those lines. And I'm sure people would still be like, okay, you know, things went, went bad, but he cares about us. But every little chance he had, even there was a flag of the military, a picture of the military holding a flag that was Chargers. And the bottom of the flag says San Diego. And there was a soldier laying on the ground posing for the photo. And they cut out that soldier just to cut out the word San Diego and the flag when they posted the photo. Like it, it is, I don't know how many steps they're going to take to avoid San Diego, but that right there is like a low blow to the whole city of San Diego with it being a military town as well. So if you're going that low to get rid of a fan base, I mean, it, what is this really about? Is this really about football anymore? Is this all just your money? And to answer that question, it is all about money because their TV contracts went up dramatically basically the way to compare it is when the chargers were 14 and 2 in 2006 the chargers can make more money being 4 and 12 in la and the team went from being worth about 1.8 billion to 3.1 billion just by moving up the freeway to la because that la market is so big so to be as greedy as spanos was really hard to come back and say well we support him if I can honestly speak on my behalf, Wade's behalf, and David's behalf when we say we just love the players and screw Spanos. But David, me and Wade know what it feels like out here with San Diego versus L.A. In Texas, is anybody ever talking about the Chargers move to L.A. or even the Rams move to L.A.? Is that even a conversation out there? Everyone knows the Chargers as the San Diego Chargers here in Texas. The L.A. Chargers don't even register them just like they don't register to the people in Los Angeles there, Bear. 
you guys talked about Spanos and the marketing department, which your marketing department struggled quite a few times. And actually, today I saw them wish the GOAT, Antonio Gates, happy birthday, who they just released not too long ago. And we'll get into your tight end situation in a little bit. But I, another, another post I found interesting from them um, as they continue to try to fit in here in L.A. But one thing that Spanos and the team did pretty well is they went out and got Anthony Lynn, um, now going into his second year as head coach, uh, for the Chargers, what are your guys' thoughts? Did you get the right guy? Is this the guy moving forward for you guys, David? I'll be honest with you, Bear. When we first hired Anthony Lynn, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Uh, I mean, we were expecting them to bring in an established head coach with some tenure, with some flash, you know, to break in, you know, the the move to L.A., but that did not happen. They went with an obscure former running backs coach that was, you know, assistant head coach for a very short period of time, offensive coordinator. You know, we just didn't know anything about Anthony Lynn. But after we got to know Anthony Lynn and to see how he communicates, uh, how he relates to players, his presence, he is a leader. This guy, when he walks into a room, he commands your attention because he has that respect factor. And I think that really shined through in his first year. He had a couple of tough games there in the in the beginning of the season but they really caught their stride and I think Anthony Lynn is only going to get better as he continues to coach more games at the NFL level yeah I, I it was hard for me to get on board with Anthony Lynn at first just because his only I mean the only thing he had under his coaching belt with the Bills was a, I think a 30 to 0 loss to the Jets <laughs> so I mean especially when you're trying to sell hey winning culture in LA we're gonna win Oh, well, I mean, your guy doesn't really have that kind of resume going on. But, I mean, what can you say about him? He had an 0-4 start. He was kind of the anti-Vance Joseph of the Denver Broncos. You know, so I, I think when you win nine out of your last 12 games, I think you earn the respect of your fans. And more importantly, you know that the players also respect him because to weather that storm – to be moving guys in and out of the lineup and still have them being okay to go in there and only focus on their job and what they have to do to be better. I think that really says all you need to know about a coach. We know he's more of a hard-nosed guy than some of the guys we had in the past, especially, we dare we say, Mike McCoy, who was still an all-time. Malibu Mike. Yeah, Malibu <laughs> fist Mike. Uh, but, I mean, I, it, it's really exciting to, to have a guy that – you know, no one really heard of. And I had heard that the Bills were really trying to keep him and had him in really high regards, obviously, before they made their next coaching move. And, hey, the next coach they had put in Nathan Peterman against the Chargers for five first-half interceptions. Cool. So I think we're looking pretty good there so far. But, Bear, I, I really just want to talk about Sean McBay. And that's right. I said McBay because he is just gorgeous. And, but that's not <laughs> the point. The point is, is, hey, man, this guy seems just like a, an offensive, you know, guru. I know that term gets thrown around a lot, but I think there's really only a few of them in the league. And I just want to know what you saw last year. Obviously, we could spend this whole segment of the show just ripping Jeff Fisher. And trust me, there's nothing more that I'd like to do because most of the funniest jokes I've ever heard around football come at Jeff Fisher's expense. But, and especially when you have that low of a bar, I mean, you'd think anyone could probably succeed after that. So, But just tell me what you saw in difference from 
Jeff Fisher and then going to Sean McVay last year and obviously how much they improved and specifically how much Jared Goff improved. Yeah, definitely. And then you call him Sean McVay and, you know, join the club. We we all out here have a big man crush on Mr. Sean McVay. And he's one of those guys that he could uh, read a movie review or the back of a cereal box and I'd be hanging on every word that came out of his mouth. He's just so uh, personable and, and you just you want to know more about him. You want to hear more from him. You want him to just talk football all day. And anytime he has a press conference, probably one of the only coaches I could think back to that I generally listen to every minute of every press conference that he has just because I just want to hear him talk football. He just is one of those guys that you, in a weird way, you feel like you connect with him even though you've never met him. You've, I feel like he's my buddy, like he's my friend. Uh, I'm still waiting for him to accept my friend request on Facebook. Come on, Sean, get to it. Uh, it's a little one-sided relationship right now. But, man, he has really come in and so quickly turned around this organization. You talked about it. We have jokes for days on Fisher and, you know, seven and nine bullshit and all that stuff that he kind of, you know, talked about in hard knocks leading into his first year here in L.A. and then won four games, right? So uh, we would have loved a little bit of that seven and nine uh, his last year here. But, you know, they went out and got Jared Goff. Uh, he had to sit behind Jeff Fisher for that year. And just watching his development in one year with Sean McVay, I think, is one of the other things that everyone gets so excited about, how this offense went from literally one of the last in the league to the best in the league in one year uh, we talked about Anthony Lynn and coming in you know starting 0-4 but finishing you know nine out of the last 12 games they won to to finish nine and seven so you know he came back strong but we didn't expect for this to happen so fast for the Rams to get 11 wins to take them to the playoffs for the first time in you know how many years uh, and, and turn around that offense and have everyone buy in so quickly and, and listen to another young guy. As you talked about Anthony Lynn, this kind of this guy that came from nowhere, um, you know, young compared to some of the other coaches. Uh, Sean McVay was a name when they, you know, we had been talking about a lot of names going around uh, when they were hiring. And all of a sudden, before they even, you know, we got to interview a couple of the guys we were excited about, they were hiring Sean McVay and we quick hit to Google and you know, tried to figure out who the heck this guy was. Okay, he's coming from Washington. Okay, he's got this great offensive mind. And to see how he could put it all together in, in, in one year, I think is really where you're getting a lot of these expectations uh, for the Rams, you know, and then to add in all the additional people that we've added in the offseason. But uh, high expectations here, and it starts right there with the head football coach and everyone buying in, you know, from the first second he was here. Yeah, and how does Washington somehow have Kyle Shanahan and then Sean McVay, and still fail to be good. The world may never know. But, John, what, what did you think about Anthony Lynn's first year? His first year showed exactly what having players respect you with authority can do. When we had Mike McCoy, the players were acting like they were hurt, or they would get some minor injury that hurt for a second, but once they, the trainer goes, okay, yeah, you're fine, it's just something minor the players still didn't want to go out there because they didn't want to play for Mike McCoy last year we had guys that were hurting that were still going out there and playing because they respected Anthony Lynn and they wanted to play that difference right there shows you future of this team with Anthony Lynn after one year you've already seen how they start 0-4 and then finish strong because the players were able to rally have fun and believe in Anthony Lynn and with a second year coming where everyone's learned, had chemistry with each other, and you get even more young guys like a Derwin James, 
there is no limit to what this team is going to do behind Anthony Lynn. The only issue, in my opinion, is are is Anthony Lynn and Ken Wisenhunt going to finally get on the same page offensively so that this team can actually start rolling with all that offensive talent we have? Well, as we talked about first-year head coaches, transitions to L.A., um, we definitely have some roster movement here in the offseason. Uh, we've had the draft. We've had free agent moves. Uh, I'll start with you guys, then we can go into the Rams. But, uh, you know, last year you guys ranked near the bottom of the league in um, run defense, I think 4.9 yards per carry last year. You've got some mm-hmm. solid points as far as cornerbacks, and you went in and drafted Derwin James, and then I think your next two picks went to linebacker and defensive tackle. But, Talk to me about the, the draft and kind of some new additions to the Chargers and how, how they're going to solve that defense issue. And, and we just came off talking about their offense and, you know, and Wizzing Hunt I can get on the same page with that, that offensive weapons you got there. But, you know, some of the excitement going on in, in Charger land with some of those players. Talk to me about it, Daniel. I mean, the, you nailed it right when you started with the run defense. And that, that's the thing that really was their Achilles heel last year. And somehow they still managed to only average to allow 17.3 points per game as a defense, which is pretty astonishing when you think about such a glaring need. And the fact that you couple that together with the fact that they couldn't get off to early starts and they couldn't score on opening drives. They had the longest streak in the league of not scoring in the first quarter. So when you put those two things together, it really doesn't make much sense. But I think the biggest issue that we had during the offseason was not addressing specifically that run defense need. You still have Brandon Meebane. You draft Justin Jones, a defensive tackle out of NC State in the third round, which, I mean, a lot of people had him going maybe in the fifth round or later. So that was a little puzzling. They didn't go sign anybody in free agency to really fill that gap. And by the way, you have Corey Legit who I really wonder what people think of him outside of Charger fans, but we think of him as water trash. So I, it's really hard to say that their run defense is going to improve immensely. The one thing they do have going for them is Denzel Perriman, for the time being, is healthy. That's me knocking on wood because <laughs> hey, I'm a fan. It's superstition. you got to do it. But it's really puzzling to see how – they didn't go address their run-stopping needs. I I think, John, one of the things that they did do is they have a more sound defense, and they just added talent on top of talent. They just kept adding guys on the defensive end, and it looks like that might have came back to hurt them with the loss of Hunter Henry. Maybe they should have drafted a tight end. Maybe you should have drafted a better – you picked up a better tight end in free agency than Virgil Green – you put all of your eggs in that basket. But, John, what do you think about the Chargers offseason moves this year? I love the draft, except for Justin Jones. If you listen to any of our shows, you would know that I'm going to be his toughest critic. But we stack that defense. We have guys that are going to be playing roles that Gus Bradley loves, like a safety hybrid linebacker. We got Kazir White for that. We also have Derwin James for that. We've had Adrian Phillips for that, and that – is usually what made the difference in most games because we had a guy that could cover people deep and could also run up and stop the run. And that made a big difference with all those injuries we had with our run stuffing type guys. But 
as you mentioned, with Hunter Henry going down, we didn't really address the offensive needs. I mean, we drafted another wide receiver in Dylan Cantrell, and Virgil Green is meant to be our run stu- our run blocking tight end. After that, we don't really have a playmaking tight end like we had with Antonio Gates and Hunter Henry both being in. Now we both have them out. And on one of our shows, we were talking about signing Julius Thomas and all these type of guys, but none of them are even close to explosive as Hunter Henry is. It really begs the question of what we're going to do with that. Yeah, and I think we're kind of burying the lead here, you guys, because out of the two off-seasons that we have, I don't think any of the four of us think that the Chargers made the biggest moves. So, Bear, we got to ask you, man. It seems like pure chaos you've had this offseason. I think you probably had a lot to talk about. Obviously, they traded for Marcus Peters and Brandon Cooks, two, I mean, Pro Bowl-level players. And then they also add Indomitian Sue and Aqib Tlaib. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. What, what was the thought process behind this? I mean, obviously, those are all good players, but... Was it hard to wrap your head around just the you know the whirlwind of moves that they made? Yeah, it was. It was almost really hard to wrap my brain around it until I all saw them, you know, here in OTAs in Rams uniforms. It just didn't really seem legit. It was like those Madden trades that you, you just get away with, and you never <laughs> thought you know someone would come in and go, "No, nah, it's not. That's not fair at all." You know, and as we're getting you know Peters and Talib for fifth and sixth round picks and, and you know future picks and you're going oh okay i do that every day um so yeah it was really exciting and the crazy thing about it is the the first two with um you know Talib and peters it was before the the new year even started you know i couldn't even really announce the trade they had it done in, in you know as far as agreed upon but um you know the league year hadn't even started yet which was awesome for us before we even got out of the gate of the new year we had tons to talk about it did leave us in a lull after those four you know stories broke with sue and you know brandon cooks and peters and you know Talib is you know after those four were done it was like we expected every week to get an all pro player on our team so when we didn't the next week it was like wait what's going on we're not going to add another all pro guy to the team let's go uh, but it was nice kind of seeing those guys come over. It's going to be interesting. You know, that was the first question is how is everyone going to handle each other together? And, you know, from camp, what we've seen so far is another thing that Sean McVay does so well. He connects with the veteran guys. He connects with the young guys. You know, with Talib, he's got that relationship with Wade Phillips. So he's going right back into that old system he's used to. Talib kind of on the last couple of years of his career, being able to take Marcus Peters kind of under his wing and show him things on and off the field. And then you know, with Brandon Cooks, he's just that ultimate pro. He talks about, uh, you know, he's been drafted in the first round basically three times one physically drafted in the first round and then twice traded for a first round pick uh everyone that gets them it's kind of crazy they give them up but you know everyone has that same read on them is that you know he's uh one of those you know gritty guys that works really hard that's great at route running has excellent speed and can catch the ball really well so you know he's had three years in a row with a thousand yards and seven touchdowns so he's coming in you know as a, as a highly touted number one wide receiver which we needed after we let Sammy Watkins walk as he was asking for a little bit too much money than we really wanted to commit to that position because we've got a lot of guys to pay um, this next coming year including Todd Gurley and, and we got Jared Goff around the corner and then you know Peters who we just picked up and Adamican Sue's on a one-year deal so Sue I would say was probably the cherry on top of this whole thing uh, really didn't expect to sign him he was the only person we actually signed you know everyone else was acquired via trade uh, but Dominican Sue came out for a visit we found out you know that we were on the top three at least and once he got a conversation with Wade Phillips and see what else is going on here 
And then the L.A. market, obviously a big sell for for players coming out here that want to do more than just be a football player. And if you guys don't know, he's really good friends with Warren Buffett. Got that entrepreneurial mindset, and he's got that businessman in in his bones. So it was something I think that was really important to him. But landing him was probably that cherry on top of being like, oh my gosh, this is actually freaking happening. And a team that won 11 ball games last year uh, had one of the best offenses in the league, or the best offense in the league statistically. Now has added a defense that you know when you're looking at one side of the ball, you usually say, oh man, our defense is where it's at, or our offense is where it's at. And right now, I think that's a competition in camp to see who's going to, you know, really carry the crown this year as far as being, you know, what's being talked about. So that's exciting about here is, you know, the first year of Sean McVay was we're going to build your offense. We're going to go get you Sammy Watkins. We're going to go out and get Robert Woods. We're going to get the left tackle in Whitworth and really protect Jared Goff. And then year two was like, hey, Wade, you know, you waited your, your, your one year. Now it's your turn. So we're going to stack your side of the ball. And uh, it's been fun to watch uh, these guys put it together. Now the biggest question, can they, you know, make this, you know, quote unquote dream team here in L.A.? Can they go win the ball games? which is the big thing? Because no one cares really how you look on paper. I mean, we do podcasting for this offseason. We got to talk about something. But when it comes to playing games on Sunday, um, you know, you got to go out and win. So I think that's the big thing is they, they wanted all the, you know, the, the hoopla and, you know, look at us, look at our team. And now they got to go out there and, you know, win the ball games. But needless to say, we are, we are jacked out here in Rams Nation for the team that they put together this offseason. All right, guys, there you have it. That is the first part of our interview, our crossover edition L.A. style with the boys from the Lockdown Chargers. We're going to be back again tomorrow with part two. And we're going to continue this week rolling. We'll probably have James Kroger on the show, as well as I got another guest coming on, JB Long, the voice of the Rams. He'll be joining us later this week, so stay tuned. We got some awesome stuff. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Rams. Also, my personal LA underscore Rambling Bear. Give me a shout. Give me a holler. Let me know what you guys want to hear. We're always open to talking some stuff. I got some emails I want to get to later in the week. But you know what it is, Rams Nation. Until next time, peace.